Welcome to you wherever you're at, whomever you are with. We're so very glad that you are here with us for a few moments this weekend. Well, uh, today uh, we come to the epic conclusion of our series. We've called it The Happiness Project. And uh, if you've missed uh, any of the teachings in this series, do want to encourage you, uh, go to our website at arlingtonfm.com, uh, click on uh, any of the media uh, icons. Uh, probably the best one would be to go to our YouTube channel. There you'll find uh, every episode in this series. Likewise, when you're in your favorite podcast player, if you search for Arlington FM Church, there you'll not only find uh, the Happiness Project series, but all of our teaching content. Well, uh, throughout this series, you know, we've uh, established the foundation that uh, our quest for happiness can be an elusive one. We've kind of taken this great example of King Solomon, who had every prerogative known to man, and, uh, you know, his quest for happiness ended in frustration. In fact, he wrote these epic words. He said, uh, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure uh, in my uh, exploration of what might make me happy. And yet, when I uh, got to an assessment point, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and they had done quite a lot, uh, when I looked at what I had toiled to achieve in the building of estates and kingdoms and uh, trying to establish his legacy, uh, both through what he achieved and what he experienced in terms of pleasure, he said, everything to me was meaningless. It was a chasing after the wind. And you might translate that uh, in the school of learning uh, what would make him happy. Uh, Solomon got an F. He failed miserably. And uh, he failed uh, to obtain this one quality uh, that we're going to look at today uh, that really does unlock uh, an experience of happiness regardless of where we are at in our life journey. You know, people who have uh, uh, kind of looked at uh, Solomon's example, taken that, trying to understand our modern-day quest for happiness, uh, kind of made this observation about uh, the writer of uh, Ecclesiastes, King Solomon. Uh, one uh, observer wrote this, the author of Ecclesiastes wasn't just battling the fear of meaninglessness. He was battling the disappointment of success. <laughs> Those are rather profound words. He wasn't just battling the fear of a meaningless existence. He was battling the disappointment of achieving everything he set his heart to, but realizing it really didn't satisfy him the way he had hoped. You know, uh, this is a truism. The pleasure of getting what you want is often fleeting. Your dream of getting a promotion, being accepted at a prestigious school, finishing a big project. Uh, you know, we work every waking hour uh, to obtain something, to achieve something. And then lo and behold, we get it. And like Solomon, we find it, the, the satisfaction is rather fleeting. And uh, here's what, uh, again, uh, people who study the pursuit of uh, a life filled with meaning have found this, that it's often the pursuit of goals that brings a greater pleasure than the achievement of them. Uh, in fact, uh, people have labeled uh, this, uh, this trait uh, as the progress principle. Here's what it states. Pleasure uh, comes at least as much from making progress toward our goals 
as eventually achieving them. So uh, we derive at least as much satisfaction from the pursuit of goals as we do in the actual achievement of them. Uh, Shakespeare, uh, as he was wont to do, uh, kind of captured the essence of this uh, with this uh, statement. He said, things won are done. Joy's soul lies in the doing. Hey, hear that again uh, from the wisdom of Shakespeare. Things won are done, but joy's soul lies in the doing. It's learning to find uh, that satisfaction along the way rather than uh, once we arrive there. You know, um, like Solomon, uh, we're often not very good at predicting what things will bring fullness and meaning into our lives. In fact, there's a proverb that says there's a way that seems right to a person, but the end of that way is death. Solomon would say, yeah, my experience bears that out. And, uh, you know, I remember uh, when I was uh, 18 years old, I probably uh, owned the best car I ever had in my life. I bought it from an elderly woman. It was about a year old. It was a 1965 Ford Falcon. There it is in all its glory. The truth is, this thing was cherry inside and out. It was absolutely perfect. It was flawless. And I got it for 500 bucks. I was happy as a clam for several months until spring months rolled around. And I thought, you know, it'd be kind of nice to have a motorcycle. So I found someone who was willing to trade me my cherried out Ford Falcon for this. It was a little Kawasaki 125, and uh, in my pursuit of happiness, I was, uh, again, happy as a clam uh, for a few months over the summer months, but then summer turned to fall, fall turned to winter. I got a job working swing shift, and I had many nights riding home, uh, freezing cold on this little puny motorcycle when I could have had my chariot out Ford Falcon. Well, uh, all of that to say, you know, sometimes we choose the wrong means to bring us the kind of happiness that we're searching for. And today, we're going to end our journey through uh, Paul's amazing letter to his friends in Philippi. You know, it's kind of a, it's a roadmap uh, to real joy, to lasting meaning and happiness. And uh, in this letter, uh, Paul uh, uses the word joy and rejoice 16 times and so it really is all about how to find those things that really do bring a sense of satisfaction and joy and well-being to our lives. But uh, get this, not only does Paul use the word joy and rejoice 16 times, but he refers uh, to Jesus Christ 106 times. It's so uh, not surprising that's where Paul goes in his uh, final words on what it is that brings real joy and happiness into our lives. He writes to his friends in closing, uh, Now I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last uh, you, his friends in Philippi, you renewed your concern for me. And apparently they had sent him some gifts. Uh, Paul says, indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying this in my letter to you because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever circumstance I find myself in. He goes on, he said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. In fact, I want to share with you a secret. I have learned the secret of being content in every 
in any situation or any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. You know, as Paul comes to the end of this amazing letter, he wants to uh, give us a clue as to a secret. uh, We'll call it the secret of contentment. But Paul uh, gives us a key that unlocks a sense of well-being, a sense of happiness in any and every situation that we might find ourselves in in life. Uh, You know, uh, one uh, Greek philosopher, a guy named Epictetus, wrote these uh, rather infamous words, fortify yourselves with contentment, for this is an impregnable fortress. I hear those words again. Fortify yourselves with this sense of contentment, for this is an impregnable fortress. In other words, it will safeguard your life and your sense of meaning and well-being. You know, uh, there was a guy about this time, another uh, man of privilege, much like Solomon. Uh, He had a lot of wealth, had a lot of prerogatives. His name was uh, Thascius of Carthage, and uh, he was a rather famous character, but uh, he noticed that followers of Christ seem to have fortified their lives with this sense of contentment. Uh, Here's what he writes about Christians. He said they are despised and persecuted. In other words, life isn't easy for these followers of Christ, but they, they apparently seem to care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. Wow, what an observation about followers of Jesus that they seem to have discovered this secret key to happiness, and we'll call it the secret of contentment. You know, uh, another king, another famous guy in the Bible, a guy named King David, you probably heard of him. Uh, He, again, uh, had a lot of power, a lot of prerogatives, uh, but he wrote these rather surprising words. Uh, They're found in Psalm 131. Here's what he says. My heart is not proud. Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things that are too wonderful for me. Yeah, that's a strange statement coming from a king. I'm not haughty. I've not concerned myself with matters that are beyond me, too great for me, or too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Again, strange words for a king to write. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Uh, I am content. You know, uh, when David found contentment, uh, he didn't stop living out his duties. He didn't stop uh, pursuing achievement. He didn't stop living. He didn't quietly quit. Uh, But David uh, apparently found this key uh, to uh, a life lived full of meaning and happiness. And he says it's the secret of a calm and quiet soul. He says, I don't upset obsess over what I don't have or where I've not yet arrived or have not yet achieved. I have found the ability to be okay with where I'm at. You know, uh, the Hebrew idea uh, of contentment that David uses this word, it, uh, it doesn't mean we stop uh, achieving and working and aspiring, but what it means is that at the core of everything we do, we have a solid foundation. In fact, if you define the Hebrew word for content, it has the idea of to agree with 
or to become like or to level and to resemble. Uh, this is a picture of someone who's no longer at odds with themselves. There isn't this huge gap between where they are and where they need to be. Uh, they realize that part of making good progress in life is learning to be okay with where you're at, learning to be content. Uh, you know, in our series, we've defined one of the elements of happiness is that people feel good about their narrative, their life story. Uh, sure, there are things like the Apostle Paul. He says, I've not yet achieved it. I haven't become what God has called me to be yet. I have this upward call of God in Christ, and uh, I pursue that with everything that I am. But he also had learned that right where he was at was a good place to be. Uh, he was pleased with God's work in his life. Uh, you know, uh, being content uh, means being able to celebrate today in spite of the fact that we know uh, there are other challenges that we need to overcome, uh, disappointments we need to rise above. Uh, there are going to be many more difficulties uh, in our future than we've already come through in our past. And uh, given all that, uh, we don't have to be uh, people that are unsettled, uneasy in our own skin we can embrace this quality called contentment. You know, my wife and I were watching one of these uh, talent shows not long ago, and uh, there was a lady on there. She was singing a song she had written called It's Okay. And as they asked her about her story, uh, she come to disclose that she had been battling life-threatening cancer. And uh, one of the, the judges asked her, well, how are you now? And uh, she was real about her situation. Uh, she said, well, I have cancer in my kidneys, have some cancer in my brain. And uh, as uh, all of the, the audience and judges were crestfallen, she said, but it's okay. Uh, I've realized, you know, why should I wait uh, to be happy? Uh, why should I wait on some outcome that might never come about to be happy? It's okay. Uh, today, you know, I think uh, that's really the heart of what Paul is offering us, the secret of contentment. I've learned in all situations, in every circumstance, I've learned to have plenty, and I've learned to be without, and I've realized that uh, I can be happy today uh, because of God's goodness in my life. You know, a few years ago, an author named Brené Brown kind of touched on this idea uh, she kind of defined it as uh, there's two big ways we can approach life. Uh, one of them is uh, from a position of scarcity. And it's this idea that uh, we're not quite enough, uh, that the, the good things in our lives today are not quite enough. The relationships that we have are not quite enough. The abilities I have, not quite enough. Even my spirituality, my interaction with God, my faith is not quite enough. And then the other approach, as you might guess, is enough. It's learning to see that, uh, sure, uh, there are, uh, are going to be other mountains to climb, other challenges to face, but uh, today I can be enough. Uh, my relationships can be enough. My gifts and abilities can be enough. My faith can be enough. My relationship with God can be more than enough for today. And I think that's a woven in to this idea of contentment. 
uh, you know, there was a number of months ago, well, a number of years ago, uh, I had recognized a pattern in myself. When the weather got crummy, so did my attitude. My attitude kind of followed the, the changing, the shifts of the uh, amount of light we're experiencing. Some have identified that as seasonal affective disorder. And uh, one of my crummy seasons, I was complaining that things were not quite enough uh, to my wife. And uh, when I got to talking about our relationship and where it could be and where it was, uh, she said, wait a minute, <laughs> enough already. How about if we go through a, a season where it's just okay, we're all right with things as they are, and it's this idea of contentment that can really fortify us for the current realities that we're facing. How about approaching life with less anxiety, more prayer, less guilt and shame, and more value and worth, less obsession, more contentment, less compulsion, and more intention, you know, uh, it really comes down to, to this, uh, Paul would concur, is that um, there's no formula for becoming happy. It's uh, not a, a learning a set of uh, routines or habits, though it may uh, come to that eventually. But really, the essence of what Paul is saying is this kind of contentment is found in one sure and reliable source, as you might guess, that source is the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, at the end of these words, uh, Paul makes this statement, uh, I have learned that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. This is what makes followers of Christ uh, impregnable. It gives them that incredible fortress of strength is that I can do all things, whatever the situation, whether I'm thriving or whether I'm depriving you know, whether I'm experiencing plenty or I'm in need, uh, Paul says, I've learned this secret that I can find contentment because I can do every situation in any circumstance through Christ who actively gives me strength. And uh, here's what Paul is saying to us. What we have in Christ is greater than anything we don't have in life. Uh, hear that again, what we have in Jesus, as we said last week, in him we've come to fullness of life. What we have in Christ is greater than anything we don't have in life. In fact, you, uh, you could uh, claim this truth for yourself. My anxiety decreases as my understanding of Jesus increases. And that would be the Apostle Paul's message to us. Uh, yes, we can be okay even when life is not okay. I love this uh, prophetic word from a guy with a strange name, but a wonderful message. His name was Habakkuk. Here's what he wrote. He said, uh, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, uh, though I don't achieve my goals of great fruitfulness, uh, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, uh, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. You might say uh, he's going through a difficult time. And uh, the writer says, in spite of the fact that all these things may be going south, yet I will rejoice in God. I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in God my Savior. And the Apostle Paul would say, yes, amen. And God has come to us uh, clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. And we can indeed uh, do all things through him who teaches us 
uh, how to navigate every season of life. I want to invite you to pray with me. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for your truth. Uh, thank you for the light that has shined uh, into our darkness. I thank you that we don't have to uh, look at our life story and end up like Solomon, where everything we, we tried to squeeze life out of uh, brought us only more of a sense of disillusionment. I thank you, Lord, that you've come that we might have life, have it abundantly. I pray uh, by your spirit, God, that you would open our minds, open our hearts uh, to see you uh, in our midst. Lord, perhaps we've never uh, made that choice to call in the name of Lord, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and experience your salvation, experience your abundance in the midst of whatever life is bringing our way. Uh, Lord, we do that now, uh, maybe for the first time ever, maybe uh, uh, as a, a return uh, to a faith we once knew. But Lord Jesus, we invite you uh, into our hearts into our worlds, into our situations, and pray that you would bring that joy that is unspeakable, full of the goodness of God. We pray in your name. Amen.